Well, for the last few weeks, we have been walking through the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians is a letter that was written by Paul to the church at Philippi while he was in prison. And he wrote this letter for several very important reasons. First of all, he wrote this letter to encourage the believers at this church. Not only did he write to encourage them, he also wrote to challenge them to live out their faith. To live out their faith. And despite the fact that, that Paul found himself in this really bad situation, this less than ideal situation of being in prison, he valued his relationship with these believers so much. In fact, he saw them as really his partners and his partners in ministry. So tonight, we're going to be looking at one of I, what I think is one of the most misunderstood passages in the New Testament, one of the most misunderstood passages in the New Testament. Now, regardless of how little or how much you know about the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to understand what we read. We're not sure what the author really meant to say when they wrote those words, or necessarily how it should be applied to our lives, especially because the Bible was written so many years ago. But you see, I think for us as followers of Jesus, it is really important to have an accurate interpretation of Scripture, to understand what Scripture really means when it says certain things. And I think that's especially true for this passage that we're going to look at tonight, because it's a passage that is very foundational for our lives as followers of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, I want you to open to Philippians chapter 2. And tonight we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. And Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, it says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. If you remember, last week we talked about a specific command that Paul gave the believers at Philippi. And that was the command to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Instead, Paul says that in humility, we are supposed to value one another more than ourselves, to put the needs and the interests of others over that of our own. And Paul says that we are to do this because this is the example that Jesus set. This is the example that Jesus set for us when he humbled himself on the cross. And in order to live a life with value and purpose and significance, we must be willing to value others over ourselves. And taking all of this into consideration, Paul, he transitions to these next few verses. And he starts out by, by kind of acknowledging their obedience to God. Throughout his time with them, the time that he spent in person with them, he has seen their obedience to God on full display. He has seen their faith firsthand. He's seen their willingness to obey God's commands. He's seen their devotion to the Lord and how they've lived out their faith. And now he's saying, listen, I'm no longer with you in person. I'm no longer here with you physically, so I want you to understand the importance of this even more now because I'm not here with you in person. So he goes on to say this. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this is the part of the passage that I think is often most understood. 
because many people incorrectly interpret this verse to say something entirely different. You see, many people will read this verse and they will read it like this, that we must work for our salvation. Many people will read this verse and think that we must work for our salvation, that it's something that we have to earn. Salvation is something that we have to earn through our own good works, through our own effort, and unfortunately, this is a really common view held by a lot of people. It's a thing that that a lot of people see when they read this verse, but you see, that's not what Paul is saying here. That's not what Paul is saying here. He says, we don't have to work for our salvation. Rather, as followers of Jesus, we are to work out our salvation. We don't work for our salvation. We work out our salvation, and there's a big difference. You see, salvation is a gift from God, meaning there is nothing that we can do in our own power to deserve it. Salvation doesn't come through our Bible knowledge. Salvation doesn't come through how often we come to church. Salvation doesn't come through being a good person or acting a certain way. In fact, salvation, it comes only through the grace that God extended to us through his son Jesus on the cross. And the Bible, it tells us very specifically that by grace, we are saved through faith. By grace, that we are saved through faith. But you see, salvation, or a relationship with Jesus, isn't the end goal. Just because you have been saved doesn't mean that that you have arrived. Salvation is not some get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not some pass to to get to heaven that allows you to do whatever you want with your life. And salvation is not something that we just cross off a list and say, check, we're done with that. Rather, salvation is something very different. You see, salvation is a lifelong process. It's really the, the beginning of this lifelong process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And you see, that's what Paul's communicating to these believers in these verses. He says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling means that we are to continue to grow in our relationship with Jesus. He's calling these believers to put forth effort into their faith. He's calling them to to prioritize one another and to be united in their mission. And he wants them to continue to do this with the awe and the reverence of who God is and what he's done for them. He wants them to do it with fear and trembling. But you see, Paul goes on to tell us that that's something that, that, that we can't do on our own. In verse 13, he says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Paul says, listen, as you continue to make your faith a priority and to live out your relationship with Jesus, God also continues his work in you. He continues his work in you to transform you into the likeness of Jesus, to fulfill the plan that he has for your life. And Paul, he's calling these believers not to work for their salvation, but to work out their salvation. So what does this look like? What does it look like to to work out our salvation? Well, Paul goes on to to give us a, a great picture of what this looks like in our own life. In verse 14, he says this, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, if you're like me 
and you read this verse, you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, why is this what Paul says next? Like, there are a lot of other ways that we can work out our salvation, but why is this what Paul chooses to say? It's a lot easier for us to, to share our faith, to love one another, to forgive one another. There's a lot of other things that we can do to work out our salvation. So why is this what Paul chooses to say? To find the answer to that question, we actually have to flip forward a few pages to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And in Philippians chapter 4 verse 1, Paul says this. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you who am I love and long for, my joy and crown. He says, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with you, Euodia, and I plead with you, Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companions, help these women, since they have contended at my side for the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are written in the book of life. When we fast forward a few pages to Philippians chapter 4, we see Paul addressing some conflict that is happening within the church. And this is really one of the first times that we actually see Paul addressing conflict within this context, within this, this church body. And as I'm sure you can imagine, Paul, he begins to address some, some girl drama. He begins to address some things that have happened between two women in the church. Their names are Euodia and Syntyche. I did have to look up how to pronounce those because I did not know how to pronounce them. But he begins to address this, these problems that have arisen between these two women. And listen, we don't know the, the specifics of, of what's going on. We don't know who said what or who did what. But we can infer because Paul specifically named these women that, that this issue was becoming a problem. These two women were becoming a distraction within the church, and it was causing problems that, that continued to grow and to grow and to grow. And so Paul, he begins by addressing these two women by name in his letter. Now, remember in week one, we talked about the fact that when Paul often wrote these letters to these churches, they were read aloud for everyone to hear. Oftentimes, a leader would, would stand up in front of the church and they would read this important message from, from Paul, these words that, that were important and that had value. And so you can imagine the reaction of these two women when they are called out by name in Paul's letter. You can imagine sitting, them sitting right there in the church pew when they hear their names called out because of all the drama that has been going on in the church. Now, the only way I can really stress the, the significance of this is to give you a, an example of what this would look like now. Just to give you an example of what this would look like now. So I want you to humor me for a minute, all right? I want you to imagine that you showed up here on a Wednesday night. It was like any normal Wednesday night. Before the service started, you were hanging outside, talking to your friends. When the countdown started, you came in here and you grabbed a seat. John led us in some crazy opener. Josiah and Brittany led us in worship. And, and after worship was over, Matthew and I, we came up here to speak. 
Matthew and I, we came up here for the message. But instead of preaching that night, Matthew and I, we, we walked to the front of the stage and, and we looked at all of you and we said, all right, guys, tonight we need to address some issues. Tonight we need to address some issues. And for the next 30 minutes, we began to call out those of you causing drama in the student ministry by name. We aired all of your dirty laundry. We made you stand up and publicly apologize to the person that maybe you've been talking a little trash about. We were able to get a hold of some uh, screenshots of some group chats where maybe you were saying a few things that you shouldn't have been. And we put those on the screen behind us. And we maybe even outed a few things that parents have called us about over the, over the past few months. Now, some of you, some of you right now are feeling a little uncomfortable because if you knew this was going to happen, you were going to be one of the people standing up. And you know who you are. Others of you are probably like, yeah, right. They don't know anything about me. They don't know anything of what I've been doing or what I've been saying. Just a word of caution, all right? Just a word of caution. More gets back to us than you actually realize. And if you want to know specifics, you can find Matthew after. But imagine, like literally imagine, if we spent 30 minutes literally airing all of your dirty laundry for everyone to hear. You can imagine that, that that's how, exactly how, how these two women felt when they heard these, these words and this letter that Paul had written. And that's why Paul says to do everything without grumbling and complaining. He says to do everything without grumbling and complaining. Why? Because grumbling and arguing are at the root of all kinds of drama. Grumbling and arguing are the root of all kinds of drama, and drama, especially within the church, it creates tension, it creates disagreements, it can lead to gossip, and it can cause people to take sides. And unfortunately, drama can be a really dangerous distraction, especially within the context of the church. So for the next few minutes, I want us to just spend some time kind of talking through what does this look like? What does it actually mean when we use the words grumbling and arguing? You see, grumble is probably not a word that many of us use on a daily basis. It's not part of our normal vocabulary. But grumbling is something that we all do literally every day. You see, to grumble means to complain with discontentment. To grumble means to complain with discontentment. It's where you become more focused on what you don't have rather than on what you do have. It's where you're dissatisfied with your current situation and because of that you begin to take it out on others. You complain to or about another person to make yourself feel better. A lot of times, just being honest, we like to call it venting and getting things off of our chest. You see, grumbling is really easy for us to spot in someone else's life. 
None of us like to be around people that are negative and that complain all the time. It's exhausting and it's draining. But you see, it's a little more challenging to detect in our own lives. It can be a little bit more difficult to see it in, in our own lives. And so I want you to take an honest look at your life. I want you to take an honest look inward and I want you to ask yourself this question. When you talk about another person, are the first words out of your mouth typically critical? When you talk about someone else, are the first words out of your mouth critical? Do you feel the need to, to tear others down in order to make yourself feel better? You've gotta make some type of negative comment about their appearance, what they look like. You've gotta make some type of comment about something that they said or something that they did. You belittle them because deep down you know that, that they have something you don't have. Maybe they're more popular. They get better grades. They're a better athlete. They got into a better school. It seems like they, they've got everything going for them. And whether you're willing to admit it or not, you're jealous. You're discontent with some specific area of your life, and so you take it out on that person by grumbling, by being critical of them. Paul also says to do everything without arguing. What is arguing? Arguing is the need to be right at all costs. The need to be right at all costs. It's this desire to be right and to be heard. So much so that you dismiss and disrespect the feelings and opinions of those around you. It's this attitude of I'm right and you're wrong. You think your opinion means more than the opinion of others. Now I want you to hear me. I'm not saying that, that all of us have to have the, the same exact opinions. We were all raised differently, we come from, from different backgrounds, we have different families, we all have different opinions about different things. We all have different interests, different hobbies. And it's okay not to agree with everyone on everything. It's okay not to see eye to eye all the time, but I do want you to consider this. Do you place more value on being right rather than on how others feel? When you disagree with a friend, are you always trying to prove your point or push your agenda on what you think is right? When you're having a conversation with a person, do you actually listen to them? Are you intentional to try and understand and listen to what they're saying to you or are you ignoring them and automatically thinking about what you're gonna say next? When you talk to someone, are you automatically thinking of, of what your reply is gonna be instead of actually listening to them and trying to understand where they come from? You know, some of you are probably sitting here tonight and you're like, okay, this sounds great. I know that I'm not supposed to, to grumble or, or to argue with people, but, but like, why should I care about this? Why is this, this really important? Look at how Paul finishes out these verses. He says this, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. 
You see, students, the, the world that we live in is crooked and it's warped. The world that we live in is not how God originally intended it to be. It's filled with hatred, it's filled with bitterness, it's filled with grumbling and arguing. And Paul says that it is followers of Jesus. For those of us who have been forever changed by what Jesus did on the cross for us, we should be pure and blameless. We should be without fault. Now, that doesn't mean that, that we have to be perfect. It doesn't mean that, that we're never going to mess up. It doesn't mean that we don't have opinions or, or preferences. And it definitely doesn't mean that we aren't weirdos and stick out like a sore thumb. But it does mean that our lives, they begin to look different than those around us. Our lives, they begin to look different than, than the rest of the world. And that we make a, a choice to put aside our differences and to stop bickering and complaining with one another. You know, students, there is something so much bigger at stake. There's something so much bigger at stake. And I, and I just want you to, to, to think about this. Whether you realize it or not, there are people watching you. There are people watching you. There are people watching how we talk to one another. There are people watching how we care for one another. There are people watching how, how we interact with one another. And for many of them, we might be the only picture of Jesus that they actually see in this world. And so are we pointing them towards Jesus? Or are we pointing them away from him? You see, we are to do everything without grumbling and complaining so that when others look at our life, they see the difference that Jesus has made in it. They see the way that, that he's changed us. And, and Paul says that just like a star stands out against a dark sky, we too should stand out in the midst of this very dark world. And can you imagine, can you imagine if we really made this a priority? Like, can you imagine if this was a number one priority in our life? If we intentionally decided to put aside our differences and disagreements, think about the impact that that would have not only in our student ministry, but also in our church. No longer would we have students who, who walk away from student ministry because someone said something that hurt them. No longer would we have division where two people can't be in the same small group together because it's awkward and, and it's uncomfortable. No longer would we have a place where people feel excluded and not valued. And everyone, regardless of, of what grade they're in or where they go to school, would want to participate in things like camp and movement weekend. You see, we want to be a group of believers who look different than the rest of the world. 
a group of believers who is intentional with our words, who listen to one another, who isn't distracted by by drama and, and pettiness. Because our number one priority is reaching other people for Jesus so that they can experience the same change that Jesus has made in our life. So that they can see firsthand the difference that Jesus has made in our life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for these words that Paul writes so very clearly for us in in the book of Philippians. There's no way that that we can misunderstand or misinterpret that the significance of those words do everything without grumbling and arguing. And unfortunately, all of us fall short of that standard every single day. But Father, I pray tonight that we would begin to develop a a real awareness, a real understanding of just how significant our words and our actions and the way that we treat people really is. That we would begin to to become aware of how we come off. That we would begin to to become aware of, of how people feel. And God, that we would not allow any pettiness, any drama, any disagreements stand in the way of our mission. Stand in the way of us being an example of what you have already done in our life. And so Father, I pray tonight that if any of us are here and that's just been a real struggle that you would begin to to convict that if there's a conversation we need to have, if there's something that we need to make right, God, that we wouldn't wait and that we would take care of that tonight. Because God, we want nothing, absolutely nothing to distract us from what you have called us to do. We ask all of these things in your name. Amen.